0: 2 Chronicles, chapter 34, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 7. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did right in the eyes of Adonai and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young... He began to seek after God, of, after the God of his father, David. In the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places, the Asherah poles and carved and molten images. They tore down the altars of Baal in his presence and chopped down the sun images that were above them. Also, the Asherah poles and the carved and molten images he smashed into pieces ground into dust, and scattered upon the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Then he burned the bones of the priests on their altars. So he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and as far as Naphtali, with their surrounding ruins, he broke down the altars, the Asherah poles, crushed the carved images into powder, and chopped down all the sun images throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem.
1: So those of you, a lot of you have not been here, over the last several uh, weeks, if you were to check uh, on our YouTube channel or on a website, we've been, uh, the last several messages have been about the kings of Judah, and uh, some good, some bad, and we typically, you know, you typically summarize them that way often if you're teaching about them. You say, this, you know, this, this, this king, you know, Hezekiah, good. Manasseh, you know, bad. Very bad, you know. And now, this week, Josiah, really, really good. That ten- tends to be how we summarize when, when you teach about the kings. There's a lot more to it than that. Um, but this week, we're, we're speaking about Josiah. We're going to look at the life of Josiah. And Josiah was the, uh, the son of Ammon, who was the son of Manasseh. And both of those people above uh, Josiah, Manasseh, Ammon, and then Manasseh's grandfather were both considered really bad, if you were putting them in those categories, really bad kings. Uh, It says of Manasseh that he shed so much innocent blood until he filled Jerusalem with blood from one end to another, and not only that, as Rabbi Chaim pointed out last week, he also influenced other people to do the same thing. He influenced other people to do evil in the eyes of Adonai, so not only was Was he bad, Manasseh, but he also influenced others? That was almost just as bad as shedding the blood as as influencing others to do bad things. We'll kind of see the opposite with Josiah this week um, to give you a little preview but it was Manasseh's sin that really set up the whole end game that we we kind of know is going to happen here with, with Judah, but it was ultimately Manasseh's sin that caused the Lord to uh, determine to wipe out Jerusalem and Judah and do things in such a way uh through that process that when the, the, the Bible tells us that when people hear about it, their ears will tingle, so whatever that you know the news is just so like, hey, so. Shocking that their ears will tingle when they hear about kind of how God has turned them over to, uh, to their enemies. That was Manasseh. And in the case of Ammon, um, it was so bad under him that after only two years uh, of being in office, if you will, uh, his own advisors and his own kind of personal entourage uh, decided amongst themselves to, to, to kill him. And that's what happened there. So that's just to give you kind of the, the, the setting, the environment that Josiah was brought up in. Because these, these, these uh, you know, like me, I got married in my mid-30s and had kids after that. I mean, this is not the case back then. You know, 16, 15, 16, you're having kids. And so this is the environment that Josiah, uh, even in his young formative years there, uh, even before we, we see him here, that, that's kind of the environment that he ascended the throne under at the ripe old age of, of eight, <laughs> as, as Tracy read. So, but what we do see with Josiah is that, you know, after a a certain amount of time in office, he began some very aggressive reforms, that's often what you hear about, Uh, some very um, ambitious cleanup, if you will, in the immediate vicinity where he was and even beyond, kind of expanded the kingdom, he did the typical things we, we read about. Uh, some of the other good kings doing, just in a more even aggressive way in terms of t- you know taking down the Asherah poles and breaking things and smashing them and, and grinding them to powder and all this kind of stuff. Uh, he just deposed the the pagan kings. He killed the, I mean, the pagan uh, uh, images, and he, he killed the priests, people that were involved in some of those pagan rites. And then we see that he refurbished the temple, and then he celebrated a Passover that was considered to be the most observant and traditional Passover that was celebrated ever since the time of Samuel and then at the time of the writing of Chronicles and Kings, even that time forward. So that's kind of the, the summary uh, of, of Josiah. And there's lots of details. I mean, quite frankly, you know, this we're preaching about several chapters uh, in, in 2 Kings and the parallel passages, some of the same, some more uh, detail in 2 Chronicles. There's lots of details of Josiah's story. But what I want to do today, and that's sort of the nutshell of kind of how things went with him, but I'd like to look at just some of the, the details of the story and see what things that we could glean from the story, uh, some things that are explicit, some things maybe that are not as explicit, maybe not as highlighted, and see if there's any things there we can use kind of devotionally for us personally, as well as corporately as a, as a community. So that's what we're going to do. So in 2 in Chronicles, I had, uh, I'm going to go back and forth between some of the two stories because there's different things uh, in, in both uh, recordings in Chronicles and Kings. But in 2 Chronicles, as was read today, as it was started off, the story of Josiah starts off by saying... That Josiah did right in the eyes of Adonai, and that he walked in the ways of his father David, he did not turn aside to the right or to the left, and at a very young age, basically the, the text there gives an age, uh, kind of the age of uh, uh, Isaac, when he was the binding of Isaac and so forth, when he was a young boy, in the hour, he began to seek after the God of his father David, is what the text says. So a bunch of things I want, to, I want us to consider here, just in that, that first, uh, first part of the, of the text of Chronicles is that, that he did upright, he did, he did the upright things, what it says in Hebrew. He did the upright things, as implied, in the eyes of Adonai. Uh, upright, I probably taught this uh, to you before, the, the Hebrew word yashar, the, the mnemonic devices, yes sir, yes sir, yashar, upright, upstanding, really just means vertical or upright, and in this sense, in terms of the adjective that's being used here, um, the descriptive sense, it means something that is, something that is done that's fitting, it's appropriate or something that is honest. And specifically, this is the key here with this text, is that he did these fitting or honest things um, that were fitting or honest or just in the eyes of the Lord. That's really key here. Because we have a lot of choices in life, you know? We can choose to do things that are, uh, that will gain us respect and acceptance of others, and the approval of others, and the admiration of others, and so forth. And, And quite frankly, that's often what we choose even maybe not consciously sometimes, but we're always sort of, that's sort of our standard, you know. We have lots of choices. We can choose to be accepted and respected by others, um, or we can seek to do those things that are pleasing in God's eyes. And the truth is, is that those things do actually overlap. I think often we, we think, you know, this is an either-or situation. You know, you're either pleasing God or you're pleasing other people. And you know the answer here in this congregation, right? Yes and no. The fact of the matter is, is that... Um, but by, but by pleasing God, often, you know, you do end up being appealing and pleasing to people and so forth. I think this, this past week, you know, a very great man of God, maybe you've got mixed views on, on Billy Graham, passed away, but certainly I think he did things that he thought were pleasing in the eyes of God, and he was admired by a lot of people. And he was never seeking that admiration of people, but clearly from, from the response of his death and so forth, I mean, he's, he's, he's admired by a lot of people, but ultimately he was doing things that were to be admired that he wanted to please God in his sight. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, the priority, yes, is to do those things that are pleasing in God's eyes first, to achieve, you know, both, if you will. But the text then goes on to say that Josiah did not turn to the right or to the left. It's a very pointed, and I mean, it says it right there. It basically, says he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And I think sometimes we think the idea there is that um, he didn't do bad things. You know, he, he was focused on the Lord. He didn't do bad things. But really, the picture there is not so much on that he didn't do bad things, but not turning to the right or the left really is the idea of distractions and not being distracted by things. You ever get distracted before? Okay. Maybe you're distracted right now, I don't know. You're here in services but uh, listening to a sermon, or you're, maybe you're thinking, is this a sermon? Uh, but maybe is your mind fully here? Are you distracted by other things? Bills you need to pay, maybe. Uh, Money that you need to make to pay the bills. You know, how are you going to do that, perhaps? Uh, Maybe a funny noise your car made on the way over. I don't know what it is. Uh, Weird pain in your stomach or or somewhere in your body. I don't know. Maybe there's a new job opportunity you're thinking about or a new relationship maybe that might be burgeoning. I don't know what it is. But maybe you're distracted. You know, it could be anything. And I think the encouragement for us here in this text and and seeing about Josiah not turning to the right or to the left the encouragement for us is, I think, to be people who are focused on what we need to be focused on when we need to be focused on them. Realizing that God sees everything and the rest of the world will not crumble uh, if certain things don't have our immediate and our divided attention, you know, because we're distracted. Because getting off course and being distracted, it, it's not really um, a neutral decision. Sometimes you think, well, I just kind of wandered off course. I didn't do anything bad. I kind of wandered off, and, and I, I wasn't doing anything bad. I wasn't doing anything good. I was kind of neutral, but really, there's no such thing as a neutral decision. You know, it might it might seem like it sometimes, but really, a, a non decision, or kind of just a wandering, meandering distraction, so so to speak, uh, is actually a decision. And if you don't take responsibility for your decisions, you could find yourselves in a very very bad place. Uh, I think about uh, <clears throat> when I read this this week, I thought about Matthew chapter 25. Uh, the story of the righteous judge might remember that. You know, Yeshua says, "Oh, you, you took, you cared for me and did these things." And he said, "When did I do that?" You know, well, when you cared for the least of these. And then he said to the others, "You know, you who are being cast into outer darkness, you know, when did I not care for you? What did I do bad things? Well, it's not that you did bad things; It's that when, when, when I was hungry, you didn't clothe me; when I was, you know, you didn't feed me; you didn't keep me warm. These kind of things. It was more of a passive, neutral kind of thing. But in reality, they were opposing the heart of God. So it's serious business to take responsibility for." Decisions and realizing that neutrality is really a decision. It really is a decision. Now, I skipped over part of verse 3, which comes back up again. This is verse 3 of, of, of the second Chronicles account, uh, the trace he read. Um, but this, this same thing comes back up again in verse 4. and Namely, it says that Josiah walked in the ways of his father David, and in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, 16, he began to seek after the God of his father, David. In other words, Josiah looked beyond the immediate influence that that he had from his father and his grandfather, is what it's telling us there. Now, on the one hand, it didn't hurt that both of those guys were were dead, right? Um, They weren't around anymore. But really, it's still hard to escape that kind of negative influence, you know, that kind of negative influence from your, your father and your grandfather uh, and so forth. So how did he do it? I mean, the text just says, oh, he just, he, he sought after David, and he went after the ways of his father David. How did he do it? Was it just brute strength that he did it? Just determination by this 8-year-old, this 16-year-old? Was it the power of the Holy Spirit? You know, I think maybe there was some of that, because if you read uh, back in the, the book of 1 Kings, chapter 13, there's a prophecy, actually. A very, you know, This is where liberal, I think, scholars might have a problem with the text because there's, a, there's an unnamed prophet there that talks about, you know, in the future there will be a prophet who will do a lot of the things it says here that Josiah did. He'll smash altars, he'll burn the bones of people on the altar, and his name will be Josiah, like it says these exact things that are fulfilled in this account. So on the one hand, yeah, I think there was some of the Holy Spirit there, you know, um, for sure. But I also believe there is a big piece of the puzzle missing uh, here that's not explicitly spelled out in the text. And as Rabbi Chaim says, you know, things that are questionable or speculative, that's where people pounce in and come up with all kinds of books and series and videos and DVDs and so forth. And so I'm going to do the same thing right here. I'm going to speculate on something uh, that I think is in the text, actually. Maybe not as explicitly as we'd like to see, but I'm going to bring it up because it stood out to me. And you can argue with me later if you'd like, and I'll tell you how. Well, anyways, um, because you know, doing this, this thing that we see Josiah doing here—looking beyond our, our, your father' issues and walking uprightly and not turning to the right or to the left and seeking after the God of his father David—these are all, quite frankly, very mature things. I think for a sixteen-year-old, let alone an eight-year-old, to just do on their own, okay? And I want to stop here for a minute and talk about mothers. And this is not the, the, the dozens. I'm not going to do that kind of thing, if you know what that is. Anyways, uh, I want to talk about the role of motherhood. And mothers have tremendous influence uh, and importance in the family and in the world. And when talking about women in the Bible, if you search for you know, women in the Bible and so forth, you'll read... Um, you hear about Deborah the judge or Yael with the spike or you know, Miriam the, the sister of Moses or, or the prophetess Huldah who's mentioned, who's part of the story of Josiah here. You know. But we don't always hear about those who some would call you know, background characters. People like Josiah's mother, who's, who's mentioned. Uh, mentioned actually in, in 2 Kings, I believe, not in the, the Chronicles. But her, her his mother's name was uh, Yedidah. And instead of call, which means beloved, instead of calling these people like Josiah's mother, uh, Yedida, or, or Moses' mother, Yochaved, um, instead of calling them background characters, I would say that they would more appropriately be called foundational characters. Because I think the likelihood of Moses having been able to do what he did, right? He went into the king's palace at a young age, but of course we know who was there nursing him, right? the the chance of him being the person he was or doing the things he did, or the the chance of Josiah overcoming all of these father issues and all of this kind of stuff, I think without the influence of a a mother, you know, would be, based on Josiah's background, for example, or the environment even that Moses grew up in, uh, those chances would be, as Rabbi Chaim would probably say, you know, somewhere between zero and nil. You know, there would be very, very slim chance. So... So while today is not Mother's Day, you know, it's coming up in a few months, uh, this is an early plug (laughs) for the appreciation and respect for for, for mothers. Uh, And if you've got one, I want to say, give her a call. And if you don't have one anymore, uh, thank God for the influence she was in your life, whether you realize it or not. And maybe if you didn't have a a good, good mother, understand that there are, in fact, good ones out there and they're very important. And finally, for some of you who are currently mothers or might be mothers one day, um, when you're trudging through the the daily grind of that profession, remember the importance and the responsibility of the job that you have and of the impact that you are that you are making. And so the text continues and we see that after all of uh, Josiah's spiritual work that he did here, that at the age of 20 he got very serious about turning things around in Judah, he had everything that was kind of an outward expression uh, against God or that didn't line up with, with, with things about God. He, those things that were taking them off course spiritually, he had all those things torn down and destroyed. And again, you read the details, even that Tracy read here, you know, the gr- things ground into powder and sprinkled over the graves of those who profess them. Kind of makes, I think, you know, our um, social media fasts, and I'm going to cut out sugar from my diet. I mean, I think it, it kind of pales in comparison with that kind of aggressive reform. Uh, you know, that, that um, in terms of making serious change in our lives, read some of the things he did. He didn't just say, I'm going to cut out sugar for a week, you know, and I'm not putting those things down. I'm just saying the fact is real change requires some of these kind of things that he did, these aggressive tearing down, burning, crushing, grinding, and, uh, you know, and visual imagery and so forth to make spiritual, I mean, serious change in your life. And now the text goes beyond what was, what was read today, saying that after Josiah returned, that's where Tracy left off, that's when he began a program to repair the temple. And there's an account of this in Second Kings 22, verse 3. I'm going to read some stuff. If you can flip fast or type fast, that's fine. If you want to type into your smartphone and break the Sabbath, that's up to you. I don't mind. But, um, but if you have a paper, uh, paper Bible, you can, you can turn it. I'm just teasing. Second <laughs> Kings 22, verse 3. So it came to pass in the uh, 18th year of King Josiah that the king of Shaphan, son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, this is where I didn't have you read, Trace, so I was talking, the son of, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, uh, the scribe to the house of Adonai saying, go up to Hilkiah the Kohen Gadol and let him weigh the silver that has been brought to the house of Adonai and let him in turn give it to the workmen that are in the house of Adonai to repair the damages to the house, to the carpenters, builders, and masons, and for buying timber and cut stone to repair the house. However, there was no accounting made with them for the silver given into their hand, for they dealt faithfully. Now, on the one hand, actually, this lines up a lot with what Michael was talking about today and the parts of the body and how everything had to work together and so forth. Um, but what stood out to me and what I like here is this picture of this group effort, you know, the variety of the things that were needed and also the, the trust that was displayed there. And I bring this up because I know for some of the, the youth in this room, I know uh, Sue, Dr. Sue Hecht is going to be is uh, planning on talking to the youth maybe about work and how God wants you to serve him in work, and how one's work is a testimony, and how one's work uh, matters to God. And I think we see a a piece of that picture here in in verses three to seven of chapter 22. You know, we see this kind of this progression, this transfer of information to Josiah to transfer down to other people, a transfer of money, and then actually no accounting of the money, and how each person in that chain was important. They were trusted, they were valuable, uh, there was lots of opportunity for things to go differently. There was lots of opportunity for impropriety, skimming of money. There was lots of opportunity for somebody to you know, have, to transmit the message a little bit differently. I want to put it in my terms and kind of put my spin on it and what I think is important, not what came down from above and so forth. But the fact is that didn't happen. Everybody was, was upright. Everyone was critical. Everyone was important. Everyone was trusted. Everywhere from, from King Josiah to the overseers to the the guys that were going out to Home Depot to buy the stuff, you know, with the money, all that, you know, for the project. And I think that, that kind of tells us that, you know, our, your place in this world and in the kingdom of God is very important. And your work, the work that you do um, here on Shabbat or outside of Shabbat, it's very important. It's very important, very much does matter to God, whether you're the boss, whether you're the purchaser, uh, whether you're the one that's hammering in the nails, no matter what. It's very important. And we see that in this process that uh, the scroll was discovered. You'll see that, you know, if you read this text, maybe you're familiar with it, as they're doing the things in the temple, and refurbishing and so forth, they find a scroll. And people want to speculate, well, what scroll was it? Some say, oh, it was just the scroll of Deuteronomy because it affected them so much when they read it. They thought, oh my gosh, we're not doing these things that we read in the scroll. It's very obvious. Um, Could have been Deuteronomy talking about the blessings and curses or could have been the entire Torah, the word Torah is used there. We don't know necessarily, um, but in any event, when Josiah read it, he understood it, or when it was read to him, he understood what it said, and he knew they were in trouble. Uh, further on, after what Tracy read in, in 2 Chronicles, um, and if you, were, if you want to mark those two, those are probably the two places I might be flipping back and forth, Second Chronicles 22 in that area, and then, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles 34, and then 2 Kings 22, but I'm going to read them too. But in 2 Chronicles 34 19, we read, When the king heard the words of the Torah, he tore his clothes. The king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, uh, Adon, I'm sorry, Abdon, son of Michah, Shaphan the scribe, and Asiah the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of Adonai for me and for the remnant in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of Adonai. That will be poured out upon us, because our fathers did not observe the word of Adonai to do according to all that is written in the scroll. So the scroll then you know, is brought to Huldah the prophetess, and she confirms the bad news. And I'm going to skim a little bit here in verse, uh, I'm sorry, in, in chapter 34, verse 24. This is Huldah speaking. She says, Thus says Adonai, pay attention, because I'm about to bring disaster on this place. You know, all the curses that are written in the book. That, the, you know, that have been read before the king of Judah, for they've forsaken me and they've burned incense to other gods. As Michael said, incense is prayer and worship, that idea, in order to, prov- to provoke me. Therefore my wrath will be poured out upon this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of Adonai, thus you will say to him, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard his words against this place, your eyes will not see all the evil that I will bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants. Now, I skipped a few things there. I'm going to get back to them. But the big picture delivered by, by Adonai here through Huldah is that um, everybody but the king is toast, right? That's pretty much the message. That's the paraphrase. Now, when the word got back to Josiah, we see that he gathered everyone together. He stood up in his place, it says. And it says that uh, he proclaimed his commitment to follow the Lord from here on out. And he also made everyone else get up and say the same thing. In other words, you know, Josiah could have simply been reclusive with that good news, you know, well, nothing's going to happen to me, you know, I'm not going to see any of this stuff, and he could have lived out the rest of his life in peace based on that promise, but he didn't. He strengthened his resolve even more, and that included involving the other people, you know, did he have hope for them? It's pretty clear he had some kind of hope that maybe this wouldn't transpire exactly as, as it was said, This is, again, as I said earlier, basically the opposite of what we see Manasseh doing by influencing others to bad. This is Josiah saying, you know, I know I'm spared, so to speak, but I want to use this influence. I want to influence you guys to return to the Lord. You know, each one of us is responsible for people beyond ourselves. You know that? Even if you're being neutral and just showing up or not showing up, there's an influence that you're exerting on other people. And it's very important to keep this in mind, because otherwise, you know, you spend your, your whole lives just looking out for number one, and uh, trying to keep out of harm's way. And, and the reality is there's more to life than just your own personal well-being. And moreover, that's, that's God's heart as well. And we, we must also realize that God's ways and thoughts, though, are not always our ways and thoughts. Did you know that? <laughs> Look at verse 28. This is, the, this is the promise that God makes to Josiah. It's in both places in Chronicles and Kings. This is through Huldah. She says, I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to your grave in shalom. Now, that sounds pretty good, right? I think if you were thinking about, what kind of di- how, how am I going to die? You know, I don't want to die. I'm going to die one day, unless the Lord comes back. And how would you like it to happen? I think the idea of being gathered to your grave in shalom sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? I don't know about you. I can you kind of picture, you know, um, maybe a ripe old age, right? Having the opportunity to, to bounce the grandchildren on your knee. I know some of us have had knee surgeries and so forth. That's probably not a good analogy. We had all these knee issues. But, you know, to be able to bounce grandbabies on your knees and then slowly fade away in your bed one night, right? Painlessly. That's, the I think, being gathered to the Lord in shalom, right? Well, what did, in fact, happen to, to Josiah? 2 Kings 23, verses 29 to 30. In his days, Josiah's days, Pharaoh Nico, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up against the king of Assyria to the Euphrates River. King Josiah marched against him, but Necho killed him at Megiddo when he saw him. So his servants carried him dead in a chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. It's pretty succinct in 2 Kings. Now, in 2 in, in Chronicles uh, 35, gives a little more detail. It says, after all of this, this being the prophecy from Huldah, the big Passover party, uh, all the reforms and so forth. This is after all this, when Josiah had set the house in order, King Nico of Egypt came up to fight at Carchemish on the Euphrates, and Josiah went out to engage him. But Nico sent messengers to him saying, What is there between me and you, king of Judah? I'm not coming against you today, but against the house that wars with me, and God has ordered me to hurry. Stop for your sake from meddling with God who is with me, <clears throat> and so that he will not destroy you. Josiah, however, would not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to fight him. He did not listen to Nico's words from the mouth of God and went to fight him in the plain of Megiddo. Archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am seriously wounded. So his servants carried him out in the chariot, and, and the same thing before he, he died. He was brought to Jerusalem, and all Judah mourned uh, over Josiah. Well, so much for, uh, again, bouncing the grandchildren on his knees, Right? and slipping off quietly into death as an old man. He was 39 at this point. He had a son at that point, but really from our perspective, it seemed like his life had really just begun, and this happened to him, and God said, you're going to be gathered to your, your grave in shalom, and so forth. Now, why did Josiah we, we, you know, choose to fight with, uh, with Nico? No one really knows. I'm not going to speculate here big time. It does seem like there's probably some political reason for that, and the fact that he was, trying, it was with the Assyrians as, as allies, and he, didn't want, he wanted to protect the, the areas he had kind of cleansed and didn't have the strong influence uh, against him anymore. No one knows really. Um, but regardless, at the end of the day, we see, at least from the Second Chronicles uh, account, that he was opposing God's plans, and he ended up being killed by an archer in battle. And from our perspective, certainly after reading that account from Second Chronicles, you know, uh, God was speaking to Josiah pretty clearly, and he missed it. But we really shouldn't fault him too much for that, because if you think about, you know, in his situation, I think it's pretty reasonable and understandable why he might not have believed uh, Nico, right, the Pharaoh. I think it's pretty reasonable to think that. But what he, what we don't see that he did, what he did not do, is he didn't ask God himself. At least the, the text doesn't tell us that he didn't stop and ask God. He certainly just didn't listen to Nico, which makes sense, right? Um, but he didn't ask God himself. Now, we may or may not listen to every piece of advice that someone, a believer, or not a believer, gives us in the name of God, although the fact is that We can see from this text, we see from other texts in the Bible that God does use non-believers, so to speak, to get messages across. And the fact is, we should be open to that in our own life as well. Um, So, again, we may not listen to every piece of advice that comes, but we should, and we can, I think, learn from this, that we should also uh, at least ask God ourselves. And my prayer for us, myself as well, is that each one of us would grow in our ability to hear God's voice. Through Whatever means that is, whether it's other people, or whether it's uh, from God directly. We've talked in the past about revelation and things being revealed, and that's really what we're after. That, that, you know, as Matthew sixteen says, "Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my God in heaven." This idea of something being uncovered, you know, being uncovered by God himself to us, and that's our prayer, and that's the area we'd want to grow in. And this this end of life picture for Josiah, I think, is a good, a good exercise for us, a good mind expander for us, maybe. Um, For us to consider what it means to ultimately be gathered to God in shalom, to die in a state of fellowship with God as a true believer, whether every decision you've made along the way is a perfect one or not, whether external circumstances look good or not, because sometimes things don't seem to to go your way, you know, you experience disappointment from a rejection maybe. Maybe it's losing a job, maybe it's uh, losing a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse. But we need to keep in mind that oftentimes we are spared. I saw and say we're, I was spared something, you know certain things in life, even at those times when they happened, and I was pretty broken up about it, the fact is we're often spared by things. And again, as this is all kind of in the context of our ways are not always God's ways, right? This is the promise God gives to Josiah, but it didn't seem to happen that way, you know At least the way we would have thought. So, regardless of, of life's circumstances, whether you, whether you die at home or whether you are in a hospital or in the front lines of battle, <clears throat> I think that is what gathered, uh, being gathered to, to God in shalom means. To live and to die in a state of fellowship with Him as a true believer, understanding that He loves you and He's with you, regardless of the decisions that you might make all the time and regardless of sometimes the external circumstances. The only real decision that really matters uh, is the one you make to trust in him and, and to trust in his plan of salvation and through belief in, in Yeshua the Messiah and to walk in his ways. That's the real only decision that really matters. There, you know, there are grave, you know, forsaking the Holy Spirit and so forth, but in general, those are the, that's the, really the decision that really matters. And when we consider the life and the work of Josiah, we see somebody that truly did have a heart for God from a, from a young age likely influenced by his mother, as she helped him to overcome the the terrible legacy that immediately preceded him with his father and his grandfather. His heart for God did translate into a a genuine concern for others, for those that were in in under his purview and his sphere of influence, you know. He encouraged others by helping them realize that their work was important and trusting them with, with duties and so forth, and that their work mattered to God. But ultimately, even Josiah, even Josiah missed part of God's plan. And maybe, maybe he was even disobedient to God. We we can certainly make that that conclusion. And that, that that did affect, at least from our perspective, the length of his life and the length of his reign. And so, as great, as great of a son of David, descendant of David as Josiah was, he still, he still fell short. And he's again. When you say, who is the greatest king in Judah? Most likely it's always going to be Josiah. Hezekiah was good, but even, even better than that was Josiah. So even him, this great son of David, who sought after David, really did fall short. But, I'm talking about him today because I do think that he's still a good model for us. And we also know that David's greatest son, Yeshua, will one day return to earth. And when he comes back, he'll win the battle that, I think, Josiah, actually on the very place, the very spot where Josiah failed. If you know uh, the the plain of Megiddo, you've heard of Armageddon. You've heard of Har. Har, Sinai, Har, it's the Hebrew word for mountain. It's the same place. Armageddon, is the Mount Mount of Megiddo, same place. So that greatest son of David will actually win the battle that takes place at that same spot. So as we conclude today, let's remember the life and the work of King Josiah, and let's look forward to the future life with that greatest son of David, Yeshua. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had today to consider those characteristics of the life and the work of King Josiah of Judah that you gave us as an example of what our mindset can be, and should be as we live out our lives on earth and as we serve you. I ask today, Lord, that if there's anyone here that does not know you and seeks to commit or recommit their lives to you, that today would be their day to do that. And pray that as we consider the life of Josiah, a king that did all that he possibly could to spiritually and physically serve you, Lord, and to care for those within his sphere of influence, that the same spirit and zeal would permeate the entirety of our lives at all times. And I ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.